Well, as we close out this election week, you might be like me. You might be a little anxious, right? Well, I'm here to tell you today that we have a king that reigns. <laughs> Amen. Our king is on the throne. Our king is in control. Our king Jesus reigned in the beginning when he created the heavens and earth. Our King Jesus reigned 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth in humility. Our King Jesus has reigned for the last 2,000 years in heaven, and our King Jesus reigns today. Our King Jesus reigns today, whether you bleed red or blue, <laughs> whether you are a male or a female, black or white, whether you cheer for IU, Purdue, or even Kentucky. Thank you, thank you. Our King Jesus reigns. Amen? Amen. Our big idea for today, Jesus reigns as king by his work on the cross. So our passage today is John 18, 33 through 19, 22. Take a look at that handout we provided. If you still need that handout with the verses on it, raise your hand. We continue our Kingdom Come series today. What a roller coaster ride we have been on with Jesus and the disciples recently in John's amazing gospel. Through these knee-jerking twists and turns, you guessed it, King Jesus reigns. Jesus told the disciples he was leaving them, but no worries. The Holy Spirit will live in them and guide them. The disciples are grieving, doubting, and fearing, and Jesus promises joy he promises faith and he promises peace. Jesus prays for himself, the disciples and all believers. He prays for his own glorification. He prays for protection, unity, joy, and sanctification for the disciples as he sends them out as he was sent out into the world. He prays that as they go, as the disciples go, that all believers, all believers would be one. Jesus is arrested in the garden as Judas betrays him. And just like Jesus predicted, Peter, his disciple, denies him three times. Jesus is the suffering servant. As we turn to John 18, Jesus is treated like a ping pong ball. He's interrogated by Annas, the former high priest of the Jews. He's bound and sent to Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders who deliver him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Let's set the scene. Pilate asked the Jews, what did this man do? What did Jesus do? And the Jews reply, he is a criminal. To which Pilate says, okay, then you judge him by your law. You judge him by the Jewish law. Pilate wants nothing to do with Jesus. The Jews know only Romans can carry out this execution of crucifixion. So here we stand. Here Jesus stands before Pilate. Can you remember a time when you were questioned for something you did or did not do? Have you ever been a part of an interrogation? So our daughter Ansley recently was questioned unjustly by a professor about a project that she was working on with another student. And while the issue has been resolved and her grade has been restored, it brought a ton of anxiety to Ansley, much less her mom and dad. 
So in John 18, 33 through 40, we see Jesus is questioned by Pilate. Jesus is questioned by Pilate. Take a look at verse 33 there on your handout. Pilate then went back inside the palace or the praetorium. He summoned Jesus and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people or your own nation and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Now, each of the four gospel accounts indicate Pilate's opening question in this interrogation of Jesus to be, are you the king of the Jews? To Pilate, Jesus did not look like a king. The word king in verse 33 implies royalty, a lawful ruler of a people or nation, a defined region with complete and absolute authority. Pilate looks at Jesus. This guy, this guy is a king. Are you kidding me? Pilate was expecting a political revolutionary based upon the charges that the Jewish leaders had levied on Jesus. The charge by the chief priest is political treason against Caesar. Pilate is questioning these very charges themselves. And as Jesus often does, he answers a question with a question. I love that. He gains control of the conversation. Jesus says, whose idea is this? Pilate responds, am I a Jew? Kind of like, I don't know your people. They brought you to me. Pilate wants to know what Jesus has actually done. Then Jesus defines his kingdom. It is much, much different than what Pilate expects. Take a look at verse 36. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Another translation says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. By now, my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus says, yes, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom has absolutely nothing to do with the region. It has nothing to do with the geography. It is about kingship. It is from heaven and not from this world. In John 17, Jesus prayed, he said that he was not of this world and his disciples were not of this world. They were not to look like this world. And now we know why they are a part of Jesus's kingdom, which does not look like the kingdoms of this world. Jesus says, my kingdom is about truth. I'm here on earth to point people to truth. What is this truth that Jesus is referring to? Jesus is the son of God and faith in him saves people from their sins. Jesus does not need an earthly army for this type of kingship. Church Father Augustine observed, earthly kingdoms are based upon force, pride. Earthly kingdoms are based upon the love of human praise, the desire for domination and self-interest. And all this is displayed by Pilate in the Roman Empire. On the other hand, the heavenly kingdom is exemplified by Jesus and the cross. It is based on love, sacrifice, humility, and righteousness. Let me ask you, 
Are you attempting to build an earthly kingdom for yourself or are you believing, trusting and relying on the heavenly kingdom of Jesus? Are you trying to impress the world or are you impressed by the kingdom of Jesus? Pilate responds to Jesus in verse 38. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went on out with this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, or I find no guilt in him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? What do they shout? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas was a bandit. He was a revolutionary. He was a robber. The question Pilate poses is completely insincere. What is truth? I can hear echoes of Pilate's question in our current culture. Truth in our current culture is not considered an absolute, but even with this worldview that opposes the worldview of Jesus, Pilate still sees no harm in Jesus. He wants to get this issue off his plate. He offers his first of three not guilty verdicts of Jesus in this passage. Pilate devises a plan to offer the release of Jesus. He refers to Jesus specifically as the king of the Jews. And when he says this, he is intentionally and ironically ridiculing and taunting the Jewish leaders. The Jews call for the release of Barabbas, and this spoils the plan of Pilate. We know who Barabbas is. He's mentioned the other gospel accounts. The scoundrel, this insurrectionist, this terrorist, this zealot, this notorious prisoner, Barabbas, is set free while our King Jesus is rejected. In many ways, I believe we represent Barabbas. You and I are sinners. Everyone in this assembly is a sinner. You and I are set free. Jesus takes our place, but, but we must accept Jesus as King. You and I must submit to his reign in our lives. Jesus reigns as king by his work on the cross. Here's another question for you to consider. Have you ever been beaten up or slapped intentionally by a stranger, somebody you didn't know? Was your beating to the point of severe injury or even death? Now I'm no UFC fan ultimate fighting competition. But I can tell you, I've seen a few fights where I've, I've wanted to say, stop it, step in, stop that fight. That guy's gonna die. <laughs> the losing fighter is beaten. He's bloody. He can hardly stand. Why would anyone voluntarily put themselves through a fight like that? Well, the next section of scripture, John 19, one through six, we see Jesus is flogged by Pilate. Jesus is flogged by Pilate. Turn with me to 19, uh, one there. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it 
on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. They mocked him and they slapped him in the face. Pilate's first plan of releasing Jesus failed. And Pilate has a new plan. He wants to beat Jesus, flog Jesus, whip Jesus to the point to where the Jews will feel pity for Jesus. Maybe that would be enough. Maybe the chief priest would be satisfied and they would drop their case on Jesus. What would happen next? We see the excruciating suffering and humiliation of King Jesus in these verses. Allow me to paint the picture for us. Jesus was likely whipped at least 39 times with leather straps. And these straps had attached to them pieces of bone, pieces of metal. Chunks of flesh came off the back of Jesus as he was flogged. The long spikes or thorns that made up that twisted crown that dug into the head of Jesus. Just imagine that. The soldiers put a military cloak. It could have been a robe or maybe even a rug over Jesus. It was purple as a sign of royalty, mock royalty, that is. They hailed Jesus as mock king as they would shout to their Roman king, Hail King Caesar! They likely pointed at him and said, This, this is your king, as they taunted him. We're reminded of the obedience of the suffering servant, King Jesus, from the prophecy of Isaiah 56. Isaiah writes, I offered my back to those who beat me. I offered my cheeks to those who pulled my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Next, Pilate offers his second not guilty verdict of Jesus. Take a look at verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to, to them, here's the man. Another translation says, behold the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials, which were the temple guards and police, saw him, they shouted, crucify Crucify. Pilate's second plan failed as well. Pilate stands Jesus in front of the Jews and says, here he is. Here's the man. Here's your king. Think about that. This act is just dripping with irony. Yes, Jesus is a man, but he is the son of man. He is the son of God, fully man and fully God. Pilate presents Jesus as pathetic and poor and helpless and harmless. But Jesus reigns as king in his suffering. His glory in this moment is on full display. He is the man who conquered sin. He is the man who rises above in victory. Just like before the Jewish leaders, they reject the bait of Pilate. They call for his crucifixion. The crucifixion of Jesus, death on a cross, the most humiliating, the most painful form of execution reserved for conquered peoples, reserved for lower class criminals, reserved for rebels 
Jesus reigns as king by his work on the cross. So how about this? If you ever had a decision laid down upon you, you were sentenced or judged in some situation or case. Now, when our kids were little, we had the timeout chair. Any other parents had the timeout chair? Raise your hand. Yes. So if you are a young parent, let me tell you that timeout judgment is a good thing, <laughs> especially for toddlers. Hit your brother, your sentence is timeout. Steal a toy, your sentence is timeout. Talk back to your mother, your sentence is timeout. See a lot of parents smiling there. So in John 19, 6 through 16, we see Jesus is sentenced by Pilate. Jesus is sentenced by Pilate. Take a look at the second part there of verse 6. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die. Jesus must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. So for the third and final time in this passage, Pilate offers a not guilty verdict of Jesus. Pilate turns Jesus back over to the Jews. He knows the Jewish law does not allow them to crucify Jesus as a Jew. The Jewish leaders had accused Jesus of political treason before, and now they accused Jesus of blasphemy. Jesus had claimed that he was the son of God. How could he do this? The Greek literally states Jesus made himself to be the son of God. The Jewish law states in Leviticus 24, 16, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. And while the Jews had tried to stone Jesus before, remember we saw that in John 10, now they're lobbying for Pilate and the Romans to do their dirty work. They're lobbying for Pilate to do their killing for them. While Pilate is no longer concerned about Jesus as a political risk, now this superstitious man, the superstitious Pilate is afraid that Jesus may be what the Romans call a divine man. And even more concerning, Pilate had this divine man whipped. He had him beaten. Divine men were thought to be gifted with divine powers. Pilate wondered, could Jesus be more than simply a mere man? Pilate may also have been concerned about the fact that his wife warned him about a dream that she had about him. That was recorded by Matthew in Matthew 27, 19. So now John writes what Pilate does in his cowardly fear. Take a look at verse 9 there on your handout. And he went back, and Pilate went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power. You would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you, Pilate, is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate asks a strange question here. 
doesn't he? He reveals his superstitious mindset. He asked, where do you come from? Jesus does not answer, which may be a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Now, Pilate is irritated here. He is irritated by the silence of Jesus, and he tries to assert his authority. As my sons would say, Pilate flexes on Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus has none of it. He explains to Pilate that he has no power. Pilate has no power except for what he receives from heaven, except for what he receives from God the Father. Essentially, Jesus is saying, Pilate, let me tell you, you are a part of God's plan here. God is sovereign. God is in control. The Apostle Paul confirms this in Romans 13.1. Paul writes, there is, there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, on the heels of the election, we need to remember that our governing officials, locally, regionally, and nationally, they serve at the hand of God. This does not allow them, it does not excuse them as to how they rule. But it is a powerful reminder that they will be held accountable for their authority, that authority that has been bestowed to them by God. So Jesus goes on to say, there's a greater sin committed by the one who handed him over to Pilate. So we wonder who is Jesus referring to? And our minds may leap immediately to Judas, the betrayer. But most scholars believe Jesus is probably referring to Caiaphas, referring to the sitting high priest that year. Pilate is not off the hook, though. He is merely a player in God's plan of redemption for humankind. Let's move now to verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. You are no friend of the emperor. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. Other translations say that Pilate sat on the judge's bench or the judgment seat. And this was at a place known as the stone pavement with an Aramaic is called Gabbatha. So in these verses, the Jews throw down the hammer on Jesus in this Pilate uh, this passive pilot ultimately caves into self-preservation. According to Gerald Borchardt, the designation friend of Caesar may refer to an elite group of Romans, a Roman society who gained special privileges because of their loyalty to the emperor. That could be what is meant by the friend of Caesar. Or this may simply be a way for the Jews to say, you better not cross Caesar or you're going to lose your job. This move by the Jews we see seals the fate of Caesar of Jesus. In verse 14, John says, take a look at that verse. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall we crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Once again, Pilate's presentation of Jesus is antagonizing to the Jews. 
he ironically claims, here's your king. Like last time, the Jews call for the crucifixion of Jesus. But the response of the Jews this time is absolutely staggering. Think about this. They claim the blasphemous words. The Jews say, we have no king but Caesar. <laughs> what? And they say that Jesus committed blasphemy. It is amazing what some people will do to advance an agenda. As John writes in John 1.11 about Jesus, he came, Jesus came to that which was his own, the Jews, but his own did not receive him. Finally, finally, Pilate provides his sentence. Jesus is turned over to the Jews to be crucified. Jesus reigns as king by his work on the cross. Well, do you know of anyone who has been executed for a crime they committed? Do you know of anyone who has been given the death penalty? Well, actually, the Death Penalty Information Center claims that in 2019, you may not know, there were 22 people in the United States that were executed lawfully for a crime they committed. In John 19, 16 through 22, we see the execution of Jesus. Jesus is crucified by Pilate. Jesus is crucified by Pilate. Take a look there at verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, or they nailed him to the cross, as the NLT says. And with him, two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. In John, Jesus is said to carry his own cross. We're reminded of how Isaac carried his own wood, which was to be the means of his own sacrifice. That was at the hands of his father Abraham, as we see in Genesis 22.6. In that instance, God spares the life of Isaac, and that is not the case with Jesus. Simon of Cyrene is said to carry the cross for Jesus in the other gospel accounts. In all likelihood, what happened was that Jesus carried the cross for a while, and then he passed it along to his willing assistant, Simon, as he was weary from his flogging. The destination of Jesus was Golgotha, often referred to as Calvary, which is the Latin word for skull. Two other criminals or robbers were there with Jesus. They were crucified. They were naked in humiliation alongside Jesus. Now, Jesus is hardly a criminal, but John portrays him to be identified with sinners very intentionally. As Isaiah 53, 12 states, he was numbered with his transgressors. We close out the passage now as we move to verse 19. Take a look. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign from, from the place where Jesus was crucified because it was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. I love the way the NLT goes on to say, so many people could read it. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write, 
king of the Jews, but write that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. This was a public place that Jesus was crucified. Pilate adds one final bit of irony with this placard or sign that he places on the cross of Jesus. Once again, referring to Jesus as king of the Jews. This was for all to see. For all to see. John emphasizes the universal nature of this Messiah, the universal nature of the kingship of Jesus. It was written in three languages, Aramaic, which was the language of the country or the general population. It was written in Latin, which is the language of the army, the language of the Roman government. It was written in Greek, which is the language of the broader Roman Empire. Now the Jews object to what Pilate writes. And for the first time in our passage, Pilate stands firm. He does not waver. For Pilate, it is mockery. But the irony is Jesus, the one who is being mocked, is the king of the Jews. God the Father wants all to know. Scholar F.F. F. Bruce claims the crucified one is the true king, the kingliest king of all, because it is he who is stretching the cross. Jesus turns an obscene instrument of torture into a throne of glory, and Jesus reigns from the tree. Jesus reigns as king by his work on the cross. Well, as we close out our message this morning, we recognize that the kingship of Jesus is set against the weakness of Pilate. The humanity of Jesus is on full display in his suffering and in his kingship. The work of Jesus on the cross defines his reign as king. Jesus was questioned, flogged, sentenced, and crucified by Pilate. Now, I introduced each section of Scripture with an illustration for us to ponder. Yes, Ansley's interrogation by her professor was tough, but it was nothing like the questioning of King Jesus. Yes, a UFC beating is tough for the loser and the winner combined, but it is nothing like the flogging of King Jesus. Yes, a sentence of timeout is tough for that toddler of ours, but it is nothing like the sentencing of King Jesus. And finally, yes, an execution of a criminal is tough for that criminal, but it is nothing like the crucifixion of King Jesus. So how do you and I respond? Jesus was questioned, flogged, sentenced, and crucified for you and for me. So how do we respond? First, accept Jesus as your king. Submit yourself to his reign in your life. He can be your savior. He can set you free. He can give you victory. He is worthy of our worship and praise. Next, trust. Trust Jesus as your king. The next step after accepting him is trusting him. Release the day-to-day -day difficulties of your life to Jesus. Sure, you will have confusion. You will have challenges. You will suffer. But Jesus proves worthy due to his work 
on the cross. And finally, participate. Participate in the kingdom of Jesus. Accept Jesus as king. Trust Jesus as king and participate in his kingdom. What does that look like? Well, don't keep his kingship to yourself. Share it with others. He is your king. He can be your brother's king. He can be your neighbor's king. He can be your co-worker's king. His kingdom is for all. His kingdom is for all who accept him as king. His kingdom is for you. <laughs> Will you accept him as king? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you sent your son Jesus and he reigns. He reigns in time, times of difficulty, Lord. He reigns in time, times of prosperity, Father. He reigns today, Lord. May we accept him as our king. May we trust him as our king and may we participate with him as our king as we help him build his kingdom, Lord. And we, when we see his kingdom grow, Lord, we want to give you all the glory. And it's in his name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.